Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. For anybody that I haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Jared. I'm the associate pastor here at Slate Church, and I get to work with a lot of our volunteer teams doing stuff like Sundays and uh, comms and all kinds of different things, and it's an honor to be here. And I just also want to take a moment to thank Pastor Brandon and Pastor Emma for giving me the opportunity to share in this series. Um, They are on vacation right now, but I think... And correct me if I'm wrong, Nate, because you have the speaking schedule, but I think Pastor Brandon's actually speaking this Sunday at our Coburg location, um, which is really exciting. Yes, he is? Okay, cool. And that's really cool that um, even just, again, shows that his just faithfulness and commitment to what God is doing, that in the middle of their vacation, he's taking time to be out there with them, and that's really exciting. And so today, we are in uh, week three of our, uh, who can give me the, the series title? Oh, it's not on the screen. Well, it is kind of on the screen. Out of Pocket. All right, we're in week three of Out of Pocket. And Out of Pocket is this series that's talking about these things in Scripture that are kind of like uh, a little bit uncalled for, a little bit surprising. When we read through the Bible, we're going like, why, why is, is God like this? Or why is Scripture like this? It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel coherent and cohesive. And, and, and maybe for each one of us, it's things that we struggle with when it comes to Scripture, struggle with when it comes to God, or we struggle to, to share our faith with others because we're like, what if they ask? Ask us about this thing, and I don't really know much about it, and I don't know how well it sits. And I think some of the, the challenges that we're trying to tackle and face in this series, they're really big questions that take a lot of time to wrestle through and to sit with and to work through. I know for me, like, I was looking at the list of things we were going to tackle in this series, and I was like, man, each one of these items I've sat with personally for for like years throughout my like developing life to go, God, what, like, what is the deal with this? Why is this this way? And so to be able to just tackle it all in 25 minutes is a bit of an ambitious task. But what, what I wanna do today is I wanna open up the door to begin to think about some of this stuff and to look at a couple of examples in scripture that might be a little bit out of pocket, a little bit surprising. And, um, and so the, the first two messages in the series, we, we had the, the first question of, is the Bible worth reading? Like in all the stuff that's going on in life, is the Bible actually worth spending our time on? And then, uh, and Pastor Nate unpacked that, and then Pastor Brandon unpacked this question of, like, what's with all the heroes in the Bible? All the heroes in the Bible, they have really, like, like bad stuff that they do. And, and if this is supposed to be, like, our model of how to live our life and, and that we're supposed to learn all these moral teachings from this, how come every hero in the Bible sucks? And that was sort of the, the question that Pastor Brandon asked. And so today... Um, the question that I get to uh, unpack a little bit, I don't think I can answer the whole thing top to bottom because it would take a lot of time, effort, energy, study. But the question that I want to begin to unpack a little bit today and maybe leave us with some questions to begin to explore as a church community and as, as a, a, a community of followers of Jesus is, is the Bible anti-science? It's a nice light topic for 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Is the Bible anti-science? And of course... They picked the, the only scientists on staff to talk about this. I have a degree in economics, social science, so kind of uh, maybe counts a little bit. It does not. It does not count. And I am not a scientist, and I don't really know much about science. To be honest, I kind of coasted my way through high school. I dodged chemistry by taking two years of physics. I did physics and AP physics because it had more math involved, and that was more interesting to me. So my foundation for science is, is, is fairly uh, light. So I'm not actually going to try to tackle today these questions in the Bible and go really deep and go, like, how does science actually, like, work, mix in on this example and this example and this example? Because I just don't have that knowledge and understanding 
understanding from a scientific background. And I just kind of want to like clarify that up front. So what we're going to actually do is we're going to look at what science is, what it claims to be, what it attempts to do. We're going to look at what Christianity is, what it claims to be, what it attempts to do. And we're going to see if those two things can coincide together, can exist together. Because oftentimes, like this is an age old debate of things of like science versus the Bible. And is that, is that how it has to be? Does it have to be one or the other? Can I, do I have to forego all of what these, these modern theories of science tell me in order to believe scripture? Or do I have to just like uh, forego all of what scripture says in order to, to believe some of these modern developments in science? And I think the, it's become a more challenging question for us as, as followers of Jesus, mostly because in the last 200 years, like the, our understanding of the material world around us has expanded like a lot, a lot, especially in the last 100 years, especially in the last like 20 years. I remember like 2008 is when the iPhone came out and the whole world just kind of like shifted its understanding of things. We got access to, to knowledge and all this stuff, social media, which is just like not good, but so many like, so many different things. Like our, our, our world is developing very quickly from like a scientific like standpoint, even just our understanding of things is happening very quickly. And, and for us, um, the Bible, it doesn't change. What, what was written in God's holy scriptures, it stays the same. And that's kind of the point of it. It's all encompassing and it gives us a framework to understand the world around us. And, and, and as science is developing and as the Bible is staying the same, the question goes, oh, are these more and more in conflict than ever? Or is there a way to understand these two things that actually goes together, okay? So today is gonna be a little bit more like, um, I don't wanna use like the phrase academic or anything, but I wanna actually do a couple of, of things pointedly this morning. I wanna look at what science is, what it claims to be, how it like works. I wanna look at what Christianity is, and then I wanna tackle kind of the primary, maybe like the most uh, challenging, the thing that causes most people to hang up when it comes to believing in, in the Bible and believing in science, which is uh, the creation story of the world. So just again, light topics for a 9 a.m. I'm gonna like uh, do my best with this. And I know for myself, these are things that I have personally wrestled with for like a long time in my life. And uh, I know people around me that have wrestled with these, these things for a long time in their life, mostly because of the way that, that um, the church or leaders in the church have understood these things and, and stated that we need to understand these things over the last few, uh, maybe 50 or 60 years. And so I know my parents' generation and the generation before that had some pretty strong views and understandings that if you didn't believe this thing, then you didn't believe the rest of the Bible. And there's a lot to unpack there. So we'll, we'll get into it, but why don't we pray to start and then we'll, uh, we'll jump into things. God, uh, we love you very much. Thank you for just the opportunity to be here in your house today, God, to be in your church this morning, that your presence is with us this morning. We thank you even just for the songs that we got to sing today, God, a reminder of your goodness, of your faithfulness. And Lord, even as we're just talking right now about uh, our world changing and our understanding of the world changing, God, we thank you that you are the same God, that you have been faithful and consistent to your creation for generation and generation and generation. And we thank you for that today, Lord. We love you and ask that you be with us, that you would um, just allow us to hear what you need us to hear today, God, that you would stir in our hearts what you need to stir in our hearts, Lord. And I pray that our ears would be open to hear what is being said and our hearts would be open to receive what you have for us. In your name we pray, amen, amen. Okay, cool, 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 cool. I'm like kind of hesitant to just like jump into this stuff, to be honest. Um, why don't we talk about what science is? And, uh, and, and to do this, I did some, some, some researching. I, I, I actually did spend a lot of time answering this question for myself when I was about 17 or 18. Like, what is science? What does it claim to do? And, um, and I know we have some, some PhDs in, uh, in physics and other things here in the room today. And so, um, you know, just hang in there with me as I, uh, 
as I unpack this. But really, honestly, what science is, it's not overly complex. Like if you, if you approach it from like a philosophical standpoint, you don't actually have to know the intricacies of science to understand what science does and, and attempts to do. So I reached out to my father-in-law. My father-in-law um, is a man that uh, grew up in the church. He spent a lot of time uh, in, in church, kind of like growing and doing different leadership stuff. He became a pastor when he had uh, graduated uh, high school. He went to university and, uh, and he went to seminary and became a pastor. And he really struggled with this, the, this kind of dichotomy between science and, and faith. And he wrestled with that for a long time. And then he, he ended up uh, not continuing in ministry and he went back to school and he took a degree in chemistry and microbiology. And now he works in that field, and, um, which is a really great resource for me as I was preparing this. And I just said, like, hey, you've wrestled with this question a lot. Like, can you, can you unpack it a little bit for me? And we had a good conversation. And I said, just give me, like, your Cole's notes on what science is and what it claims to do. And so I'm just actually going to read from him what he had shared with me because it actually was a very, like, well thought out um, a, a kind of outline of what it is. So track with me here. Again, every time like a speaker looks down at notes and reads off of it, it's really easy to tune out. But this is an important section if we want to carry on with the rest of the conversation today, all right? Science is the way that we make sense of the physical world and yes, even the universe. Science gives us the best description of the physical reality that is around us. It's not religion, it's not philosophy, and it doesn't start with faith. Proper science is an empirical way of acquiring knowledge and should always follow a relatively simple method um, simplified the steps here below, but it actually can be a lot more complex than this. Step number one, observation and questions. Uh, why does the moon move in the sky? So there's an observation, there's questions about that observation. Two, hypothesis. This is conjecture based on research or knowledge obtained while formulating the question. So we build a hypothesis of why something is happening. There's a prediction. It deduces the logical consequences of the hypothesis before the outcome is known. There's experimentation or testing is step number four. And then there's analysis, which determines the next actions to be taken. And this analysis can take you back to the beginning of this process or any of the previous steps based on your findings. Once you've done all the steps, you can then propose a theory, which is uh, a theory. A theory is an overarching coherent framework that explains and relates pieces of a body of scientific knowledge and research. It's verified by experiment uh, and observation. It's self-consistent and it doesn't uh, contradict any other experiment or observation. If it does, it gets thrown out and you start again. Uh, confidence in a theory grows over time, but it's always open to questions and testing and or being thrown out. A scientific theory is never considered foolproof the moment um, that something else contradicts that theory, you need to start from scratch and build your understanding again. The progression of a scientific field is usually intimate intimately tied to a slow progress over time of gradual improvements. Uh, and a quote here, um, is uh, I'm not accustomed to saying anything with certainty after only one or two observations. So to kind of boil that down, science is this, this kind of uh, objective way of looking at the material world around us and beginning to piece together why things are happening. It's, it's this standpoint, it's not, it's, not a, it's not a religious framework to understand the world. Uh, it's, it's not a, a faith-based system. It is a, a process by which we can observe the, the, the world around us and begin to answer the question, how is all of this happening? How is this interacting with this other thing? And why does that happen that way? And beginning to unpack 
through observation, experimentation, and that's experimentation. There's just more observation in that experimentation to go, is what we thought is causing this thing lining up over and over again? Every time we experiment in a new way and we bring in all these different factors, does it come back to this original idea that we thought was the purpose behind why that thing was happening? And as we test it and as we experiment on it, is that, is that consistent? And does this theory that we're beginning to build contradict any of the other theories that, that, that speak to that same idea? And if it does, then maybe we've missed something and we've gone back. And so it's quite a, a dynamic process in understanding the world around us, the mechanics and, and, and the physical world around us. It's, it's a really, like a, it's pretty thorough process of understanding the, the, the world that we live in. And I think that that's a, like very interesting. And I also want to highlight, like science is, is a really like, uh, science, science is such a broad category, but like, but, but the developments that we benefit from as a society through science are actually like really uh, good things. There's a lot of, of benefit that science has brought our society. You think about 200, 300, 400, 500 years ago, the, the, the quality of life that people lived in, the, the elements of, of the world and, and, uh, and just the, what it means to like live on earth that we didn't even understand years and years ago, that we understand in a new way now. Like, there's all kinds of technology that's been brought about. I think about like our phones, I think about the internet, I think about like lights, I think about the fact that I'm speaking into a microphone that's not plugged into anything and how is that working? I have no idea and we try to fix it every week because there's always problems, but Come on, science. But, um, but, but like, I don't understand how this stuff works, but somebody does because they've observed the world around us and gone like, why is this happening? And they've pieced these things together. Toilets, like science, it's, it's incredible like how all of this is connected. Have you used a bidet? Science, it's, it's like a really great thing. So all kinds of stuff that like science has brought us uh, as, as, as a society and a, as humankind. And so I think to, to demonize or villainize science is not like a useful thing to do in this conversation. To look at all these discoveries and observations of the world around us, it's actually not a helpful thing to go like, this is in, uh, it's one or the other, and this is in opposition with the Bible. Actually, it's interesting, if you approach science from a Christian worldview, it's, it's actually really necessary because you're, you're further discovering and understanding, and again, this is from a Christian worldview, uh, the, the creation that God has designed around us, and the deeper that you understand that, the more that we'll be able to reflect the glory and the fullness of who God is through our understanding of when the world around us, right? The more that you understand something, the more that you can appreciate it, and this even goes back to what we talked about in um, our Four Love series. The more that we can understand the love of God, the more we can appreciate it. The more that we understand creation around us, the more that we can appreciate God. Again, Again, that's science from a Christian worldview. But we also have to see science for, for what it is, right? Which we just talked about and what it isn't. It's not a faith-based system of even understanding why the world has come to be. I think a, a lot of times we can, we can see them in the same categories, in the same buckets, science and Christianity, and they're not the same thing. Science doesn't claim to be a, a, a faith-based system that gives us understanding and morality and, 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 and the reasoning behind it. It's an, it's an explanation uh, of the world around us. It tells us the how, but it doesn't necessarily tell us the why. It gives an observation of the natural world around us, while Christianity does something different, does something a little bit more holistic, does something a little bit more uh, broad than, than the specifics of unpacking things through, through science. So I want to talk a little bit about what Christianity is and how that's different than what science is. Christianity, um, by like definition, uh, and here's some more like big words coming at you this morning. Christianity is a Abrahamic monotheistic religion based on the life and teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. 
So basically what that means is it's a, it's a, it's a faith-based system that, that tracks back to this person, Abraham, Father Abraham, that Pastor Brandon sung about a couple of weeks ago, if you remember that. This, this Father Abraham, a lot of world religions have actually stemmed from Abraham, okay? And, and Christianity is one of the world religions that has stemmed from this person, this historical figure of Abraham. And uh, it's a monotheistic uh, religion, which means that we believe that there is one God, one true God. There's not many gods that control different things, but there is one uh, true God. It's also uh, potentially a monotheistic pantheon, but I don't think that we really need to get into that because it unpacks all kinds of like other stuff that is just not helpful. But like, so it's a monotheistic religion. There's one. There's one God, and it and it hinges around the the life and the teachings of Jesus. These are all important things to to remember and to understand. All right. So those three things are actually going to come into play as we talk about uh, how these two things can work together. In other words, uh, Christianity, is a, it's a faith-based system that gives us an understanding of the world, its purpose, and our purpose within it, right? Christianity tells us where we've come from, where we're going, and, and how to live in the in-between of those two things, right? And this is a different thing fundamentally than what science attempts to do. It attempts to observe and understand Christianity is outlining a roadmap of this is why you were created. This is why you're here. This is your purpose. This is where you've come from. It's where you're going, and it's, and it's all the things that, that are in between, how to conduct yourself in the in-between. And again, I, I want to also highlight, like, science isn't just about the material, and, and, and Christianity or, or, or faith or religion isn't just about the spiritual or, or the internal workings of people. Those two things have a lot more connection than we often, like, realize as, as people. And especially now, you're, you're understanding, like, a lot of the way that we think affects the material world around us because it affects how we behave in the world around us. And so the, 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 the gray area between the physical and, and the internal and the spiritual are, are like, so there's a lot more overlap there than people like to go. They like to go black and white and go, science is this and Christianity is this. There's a lot more blending that happens there between those two things. So, so a, a, a way of understanding these two things and how they work together in my mind that's been very helpful for me is, is you have Christianity, which is a faith-based system that gives you an understanding of the world. It's like this umbrella idea to go, here is the general narrative of history of humankind. Here is the why behind that. Here's the explanation behind that. Here's the in-between, how to conduct yourself. Here's a, a little bit onto the future of what, what life and, and reality looks like. And within this large umbrella, there is this, this, um, this body of science and understanding that, that unpacks within this umbrella of this worldview that unpacks the material world that we live in that unpacks on a really detailed level the, the ins and outs of the world around us. And, and when I say material, I mean like a lot of stuff is like immaterial, like gravity and all kinds of this different stuff. I'm not talking about just like physical space, but I'm talking about um, all of the mechanics of the world that, that we live in. So I think like if you can look at it from that perspective to go, okay, you've got this overarching worldview of, of, of Christianity and this understanding of why we exist, why we're here, how all things came to be, et cetera, et cetera. And within that umbrella, you have this, this world of science that is unpacking the mechanics of the world around us. This is like really how these two things can work together, how they can interplay with one another. And there's a lot of like uh, uh, specifics in in making that work. And that's the thing that I don't actually have a ton of time for today because there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that if this is true, if like Christianity is this umbrella and within that science exists, then like how come the Bible breaks all the rules of science like often, right? Like why are those things like always, like if you say that this is the way that the world works, then like what, like Jesus rising from the dead, 
How does that work? Why is that the way that it is? Uh, Jesus feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. How does that work? Jesus giving sight to the blind and healing people. Really, most of the stuff that we see Jesus doing in the New Testament is like doesn't really work with like an observable, observable framework of society. Adam and Eve, like all humankind came from two people. That like even just doesn't, doesn't make sense from... Um, uh, genetic standpoint, like that's crazy. Bushes that are on fire but don't burn. You read this in the story of Moses, right? Where this is like there's this burning bush, and the Bible says like he he was it, he was caught and, and captured by it because it was burning, but the the bush didn't burn up. So it's like how does that work? We that's not how science works. Everything that happened in Egypt, all the plagues and things like that, people living for 900 years in the Old Testament, and now the creation story. There's a lot of things that as you read the Bible, it's easy to kind of go. Like, how do these two things fit then? You're saying that, that, that Christianity is different from science and it gives an overarching worldview and within that science begins to explain the how of the world around us. But like, how come the Bible keeps breaking the how of the world around us as we come to understand it? And I think oftentimes, like if we wanna determine whether two things are, are coherent with one another, we need to understand the claims that each of them are making. Right? And we need to do this on a case-by-case basis. So I can't unpack all of those things that I just said because I'm already like deep into this and, and there's not enough time. But what we can do is we can unpack the creation story because I think that's a big hang-up for people. And I want to just do, you can go deep, deep, deep on I want to do a flyover of that and how it may, might not actually be in as much contradiction as we think. So um, if you want to understand whether two things conflict with one another, uh, I was listening to a podcast about this this past week to, to better understand. You have to understand the claims that both of them are making. And then you have to determine whether those claims are incoherent with one another. And so what is the claim that, that science is making when it comes to um, creation and, the, and, and or just the development of the world around us? And what is the claim that, that scripture makes? And so if you have your Bible this morning, why don't you grab it? And uh, if you've got it on your phone, why don't you pull it out? We're going to go to Genesis chapter 1. This will be the easiest Bible-flipping portion that you have ever experienced. If you're new to church, literally just turn four pages and you're there. Genesis 1. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing. The whole first chapter of Genesis is the creation story outlined in Genesis. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read the first couple verses, and then we'll get the idea of what's happening. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate waters from waters. So God made the vault and separated the water above it. And it was so, and God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. This is an interesting one. Keep an eye on on that whole passage of the idea of the vault between the waters and the waters. God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place. Okay, wait a second. So there's all just like everything is water. God has separated water from water. He's pulled this water above and this water below. And now he's saying on on day three, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so God called the dry ground land and he gathered the waters and he called them seas and God saw that it was good. The rest of this chapter of Genesis continues to expand on this creation story a day at a time, um, and, uh, and, it, and it poses uh, quite a few problems as you, as you look at it, if you look at it and approach it from a scientific standpoint. Like, um, pro- problem number one is, like, how did the Earth stay suspended in space? The sun isn't, isn't like, made until 
um, day four. And so if the sun isn't made till day four, and we know that the earth is in orbit around the sun, and the gravity of the sun keeps the earth in orbit, then, like, how is the earth being sustained? Well, you could just say that God is sustaining it. Okay, cool, but that doesn't actually work with our scientific understanding of the world. Light was created on day one, but again, the sun wasn't created until day four. So, like, where's the light coming from? What's the, what's the deal with the light? Even this idea of, like, he separated the light from darkness. We know that darkness is just the absence of light. So, like, did darkness exist? And then there was a separation of those two things. Day and night started on, uh, on day one, but if there's no sun till day four, how, how are we getting day and night? Um, there's vegetation that happens, I think, on day four. God, God fills the earth with, with vegetation. Um, and if that's happening, we, un- like, we know that photosynthesis is how like, plants uh, take and energy and grow. And so like, if there's no sun until uh, after the vegetation is there, then like, how is that happening? Um, and how did this vegetation, yeah, how did this vegetation happen out without the sun? This is just like a couple of the things that if you begin to like, read through that whole story, there's a lot of like, again, if we're reading the Bible as a science textbook, it's a lot of challenges when it comes to like, understanding that creation story doesn't make a lot of sense. And you can throw like a blanket cover on that and go like, well, God is like all powerful and in control and he can do whatever he wants. And I actually believe that to be true. Like 100%, this isn't, this isn't like a conversation in my mind about God's ability to do something. It's, a, it's more of a conversation when we look at that creation story to go like, the question isn't one of God's ability. It's, it's are we understanding what God is trying to communicate through this first chapter of Genesis? That's more of the question. The question is, can I, can I work science into this original creation story? Am I trying to pull out of these scriptures something that, that might not actually coherently make sense with the way that we've begun to understand the world? Um, and, and oftentimes, like, even asking that question, there's like a, whoa, whoa, what are you, like, not following, like, the authority of scripture? Like, like you, you read it in the Bible. It says in, um, let me grab it. I grabbed the, I grabbed the verse in 2 Timothy. Uh, now. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So then like we're going, okay, well, if you're, you're saying that there might be a different intent with Genesis 1, are we like then questioning the authority of God and, and the like infallibility of scripture on this uh, by understanding the context and, and questioning whether it's like supposed to be read sort of word for word. And I think that that's actually like a dangerous way of thinking about it because uh, understanding like uh, there's, there's a quote in this book called from uh, In the Beginning We Misunderstood. The most vital question for the interpreters of any literature, especially the Bible to ask is what did the human authors and ultimately the divine author, God the Holy Spirit intend for his original audience to understand when they read the passage? So as we look back on, on Genesis 1, I'm, causing like, I'm asking a lot of questions of it right now. So we look back on Genesis 1, it's important for us as the readers today to understand the original intent of why that was written. Why was Genesis 1 written the way that it was? Because you gotta remember, the Bible was written for us as followers of Jesus. Like it's for us to go to, to understand the world, to understand morality, to understand uh, all the teachings in, in the life of Jesus. But it wasn't written to us, right? Or else it would just have to be written like every year or every day to us in a different way, in a different shape. It's one book that stands to the test of time. So it's written for us, but not to us. So who is it written to? Well, we also talk about the Bible being a library of books with many books inside that. So like who actually was the original, uh, like intended uh, readers of Genesis and who wrote the book of Genesis? Who, like who uh, knows like um, uh, generally who is understood to be the author of Genesis? Anybody? Nate's got a hand. Nate, do you want to tell me? Abraham. Moses. Yeah, Moses is actually considered to be, dude, I'm going to tell Pastor Brandon about that one. (laughs) 
Moses is actually believed to be the author of Genesis. When did Moses write the book of Genesis? It's actually a really important question to ask. Like, why, why is this written this way? Well, as we begin to research and understand this book of Genesis, we, we look at Abraham. And we go, okay, there's this person of Abraham. Genesis is actually the first of, of a five-book like, um, kind of collection called the Pentateuch. It's the first five books of the Old Testament. And Moses is believed to write all of those. And, and, um, and Moses is writing this book of Genesis, and he's writing it to the Israelites. Who are the Israelites? The Israelites are God's chosen people. Okay, Maybe we've heard that before. It's God's chosen people. Where did they come from? The Israelites came from Abraham. Abraham was like the father of many nations, the father of the Israelites. And we go back to the story of Abraham and God promises Abraham that he'll have a son. And from that son, there'll be generations and generations and God's people will come. And he's, and he's promised him this, this people. And he's not only promised him this people, but he's promised him this promised land, a land that was promised to Abraham and his people. And in that land, in that promised land, this is actually where Jesus is, uh, in that general area, Jesus is born. Uh, the city of Jerusalem is built and where Jesus actually goes to die. It's in this promised land to Abraham and, 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 his, uh, and his descendants, which are the Israelites. And the Israelites, in that story of Abraham, Abraham is taking his, his camp and his community and he's going to all these different places. And we find him landing in Egypt with the Israelites in Egypt. And they're landing in Egypt and then they are enslaved over time by the Egyptians. Right? And they become kind of slaves in this working class to this Egyptian society. And, uh, and they're, they're living steeped in the Egyptian culture for how many years? For 400 years, the Israelites are steeped in this culture in Egypt. Every day, in and out, all that they're hearing about in the world around them, uh, around them is the, uh, the ideology and, the, and the, the faith practices and the understanding of the Egyptians. The Egyptians had many gods. You got Ra, the god of the sun. You got a god of the Nile. You've got a god of different areas of land. You got a god of prosperity. You got a god of wealth. All these different gods that the Egyptians have. And so the Israelites, God's chosen people, the people that he's given and birthed out of Abraham, are living in Egypt continually kind of indoctrinated by this different understanding. And, and the Egyptians had their own creation story of how the world came to be. And it had a lot to do with the different gods battling over different territories and then somebody like the earth kind of rising out of that. And there's an understanding that these, these guys would have just been hammered with over and over and over living in that Egyptian culture for 400 years. So this is the place that, that Moses finds the Egyptians when he is actually called to bring them out of Egypt. So, so Moses goes in and he, and he brings the, the Egyptians out of Egypt and he, and he goes in uh, and there's all these plagues that happen to the Egyptians. Have we, like, do we know about these plagues with all the frogs and the Nile turning to blood and blacking out the sun and all this different stuff? And all of those plagues are actually God demonstrating his power to the Israelites to say, hey, all of these gods exist in Egypt. The God of the sun, the God of the Nile, there's a, even the frogs. There was a God that had the head of a frog and it was a prominent God in, in Egypt. And so God is demonstrating the locusts, all of this stuff in pulling the Israelites out of Egypt. He He's demonstrating to the Israelites, hey, I have authority over all of these gods that you've been learning about over the last 400 years. This is, the, this is the point that God is trying to make to the Israelites. And he brings them out of Egypt through the person of Moses, walking through the Red Sea, all of these miracles. People are, are, are encompassed by the grandeur and the greatness of God, and they make it out into the desert. And then what happens when they make it to the desert? They don't make it all the way to the promised land. They begin to wander in the desert for 40 years. And they're lost in the desert. Um, they're wandering around and they're going like, what is like happening? And this is when Moses writes the Genesis story, the creation story. So the questions that are being asked by Israel at the time, they're going, are we going to survive in the desert? 
are we safe here? Is there really only one God? What about all the Egyptian gods that we've, we've learned about? Are, are, are the Egyptian gods angry that we left Egypt? If there is this one God, did he rescue us and is he with us or are we now alone? Uh, how do we please this God? How do we please this God so that we have good crops and we're able to continue to eat? Should we worship the sun still? Should we worship the moon like the Egyptians? Should we worship like the Canaanites who are now in nearby like a vicinity to us here in the desert? Is the Egyptian story of how the world was made the true story of how the world was made? These are the questions that are rolling around in the, in, in the minds of the Israelites when Moses writes this book, uh, Genesis. The questions that we're asking often when we approach scripture today, specifically the creation story, are very different set of questions than this book, than that book of Genesis was written to answer. The questions that we ask are, how old is the earth? 6,000 years or 6 billion years? Was it in six literal, literal 24-hour days or six long periods of time that God made everything? Um, does the lack, uh, no, I'm not gonna read that one. I don't even know what half those words mean. <laughs> Was there really a talking snake? Were there dinosaurs on Noah's Ark? If God created Adam as the first person, did he have a belly button? <laughs> These are the questions that we approach this Genesis story with today. I'm like, I need you, Bible, to explain to me these scientific questions that I have about the world around me. The original intent of the writing of that book wasn't to answer those questions. Scientifically speaking, the Israelites, they don't know about half the stuff we know about. So God isn't trying to correct their understanding of science and launch them like millennia into the future when it comes to their understanding of how the world works. He's meeting them where they're at to answer the questions they have where they're at. To say, listen, I know you're wondering about the gods that you've just come from. I know you're wondering about the creation story. I know you're wondering about me. I know you're wondering about Yahweh, the God that has claimed to be the, the God over all gods, over all understandings of the world. And, and I know that there are questions about that. And so let me give you an understanding of how I have brought the world to be. That creation story in Genesis 1, really, a lot of it is, is, is very little on material creation. A lot of it already exists when you read that story. God created the heavens and the earth. And he just kind of creates them. And then what he spends time on in Genesis 1 is actually giving each of those things purpose and ordering each of those things. You go back to um, that, that phrase, uh, bara, the Hebrew word for create. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That bara word, it actually brings in concepts that are both creating and determining their purpose. So what God is telling the Israel, and it's a very specific word. It's not the common word for create in, in, uh, in, that, in the Hebrew language. So what God is telling them, he said, I have not only designed and, and created everything, I've ordered it all and I've purposed it and it has intent and I've brought that intent to what you see around you. The other thing that God is, is kind of speaking to in this narrative is um, this Hebrew word of rakath and that word hovering. It says, and, and, and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That word rakath, uh, it's also used in Deuteronomy 32, 11. And it refers not just like to a presence that's spookily over the waters. Every time I read that growing up, I'm like, what a weird thing to do. Why is the Holy Spirit just like hovering over this like formless waters? But it wasn't. What, that, that word, it, it, it's used in Deuteronomy 32.11 to, to, to speak to like an eagle hovering over its nest, protecting and caring for and looking out for. So, so God is saying like, I have, I have intentionally designed the world around us and, and I've ordered it all and I've given it purpose and I am the originator of this purpose. And not only that, but I love it and I care about it and I'm watching over it and it's of interest to me. Like that, that is fascinating to me. This is what God is trying to communicate to the Israelites. You aren't just aimless. I've cared about you from even before you were created. 
You aren't just wandering around. And if you're wondering who has created all that, that, that is around you, I've created it all. Yahweh, God, this God, the God of, uh, of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Moses, I am the one that has ordained all this and created all of it. So don't worry about all these other gods because at this point, the Israelites, they don't even have the Ten Commandments. They just, they're, they're wandering trying to understand. And this is, what God, this is the context in which God gives them. Another interesting point, for those of us that are going like really stuck on like the six day, 24 hour thing or like how old is the earth and all these different things. It's interesting as you read through that creation story and this was um, something I actually learned about in high school and I forgot until, until researching it again. But that word for day um, is evening and morning, the first day. It's the, it's the uh, Hebrew word yom. And that word uh, is used just in Moses's like Pentateuch, those first five books of the Bible. It's used to describe uh, 12 hours. Um, in Genesis 1 verse 5. It's used to describe a whole week in Genesis 2 verse 2. It's used to describe a growing season, which was probably several months in Genesis 4 3. It's used to describe an eternity in Genesis 44 32. It's used to describe a physical lifetime in Genesis 43 9 and Deuteronomy twice and a time period equal to 40 days in Deuteronomy. So like Moses is using this word day pretty loosely, if you ask me like a 24 hour period. So I'm not saying that God made the world in six days or not. That uh, account in Genesis is really more of an ordering story than it is like a, a material creation. What I am saying is that if we wanna cut and dry the Bible as a science textbook, we're gonna come away with a lot of these questions. We don't do the hard work of understanding like why it was written, who it was written for, and what's the point that's trying to be made. What is God trying to say in this Genesis creation story? Because honestly, the point that he's trying to make is that God named Yahweh, names himself and, and tells us, this is my name, I am that I am, I am the God Yahweh. Like that name for God, he's, he's communicating to the Israelites and to, to the people and to all the generations and to us here today that have all kind of like followed along in the footsteps of, of those that have gone before us. I am that I am, I, I've been here before the earth was formed. I'll be here after the earth was formed. And not only am I just here, I'm present, hovering over those waters. I care about them. And I've given everything purpose and I've given it design. And we're just talking about the first chapter of Genesis, man. You keep reading Genesis and you see more and more of the character of God being revealed to the Israelites and revealed to us today. He would walk alongside them in the garden, that he would give them free will and choice. He would do all of this different stuff. Like, listen, if God wanted to, to spend his time writing out the details of the world around us, he could, do, he could have done that. The Bible could have been a science textbook. It's not. Because God is actually speaking to something more important for us to spend our time on. The purpose of why we exist. The purpose of why are we here. Like Jesus. Jesus doesn't talk about this at all. He didn't talk about science and the makeup of things. Now, in the things that Jesus said, we found them to be true over time, but he, he doesn't spend his time talking about the cosmos and, and all this different stuff that people were curious about in, in, in the day and age. You know that, that um, the Israelites, they used to believe that the, the earth was like this big flat square and it had this big dome over top of it. That's what it's saying in, in verse two there, that God separated the waters from below and the, the dome and the waters above. It's this very like not scientific understanding of the earth. God meets them to say, hey, I am the one. In that belief that you have right now, even though it's incorrect, I'm the one that has done those things. The, the, the Israelites, they used to believe that they didn't understand the mind. 
that we even had like a, a brain and that the brain controlled all of these different things and had all these different uh, things that would fire and release of hormones and chemicals and all this stuff. They believe that your heart, because it pumped the blood through your body, was like where your thinking was done and where your emotions came from. Your emotions came from your gut. And, and even today, we carry some of this like language around. Like if I was to say like, where do your feelings come from? Most of us would be like, oh, my heart is broken when I'm sad. It's my heart's language that we still use today. God knows that that's not actually where. The heart just pumps blood. But he doesn't correct them. He speaks to, like, guard your heart, for out of it is the wellspring of life. So he's going, I'm not trying to correct your scientific understanding of the world around you. You've got it wrong, but I'm going to meet you where you are to give you the bigger picture of what is happening, that you actually need to guard your mind. You need to guard your emotions. That's the, that's the important thing. For us today, as we approach the Bible to go, like, I want to understand all of this, like, intricacies, and, and does it line up, and does it doesn't not line up the narrative that that jesus that god is communicating through is is a is a larger narrative to a certain people at a certain time that we can take inferences and understandings from and it doesn't actually conflict in the ways that we 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 think it might conflict if we read the, the bible as a science textbook it's got problems but if we read it for the intent that it was written those things can coexist together they can live with one another there's a quote from billy graham that is actually um helpful. It was helpful to me as I was reading it. Um, and maybe we can throw it up on the screen. Billy Graham said, oh, I don't think that there's any conflict at all between science today and the scriptures. I think that we've misinterpreted the scriptures many times. We've tried to make the scriptures say things that they weren't meant to say. And I think we've made a mistake by thinking that the Bible is a scientific book. The Bible is not a book of science. The Bible is a book of redemption. And of course, I accept the creation story. I believe that God did um, create the universe. I believe he created man. And whether it came by an evolutionary process and at a certain point he took this person uh, or this being and he made him a living soul or not doesn't change the fact that God did create man. I think in that quote is an understanding for me to go like whether we read it literally or whether we understand it for the intent that, that it was given the people at the time, there's space in the text as we actually begin to study it to go, these two things can coincide together. And I'm not making a claim this morning on whether it's six-day creation, old earth, young earth, or evolution, or any of that stuff, because I don't, I don't know. I wasn't there. But I am saying that these things don't need to be in conflict. You don't have to pick one or the other. You don't have to go like, oh, I only believe in science. I don't believe in the Bible. I can't believe in the Bible. No, you can't. And if today does anything but give you a motivation to go, let me begin to research these things and study these things. As you begin to study these things, you'll understand that there's a lot more space to hold these beliefs than we want it to be. It's not as black and white and cut and dried and this and that. The other thing I want to communicate today is that the whole Bible, the narrative of Scripture, sometimes we think the material world around us is so significant, so important to understand. But the Bible in itself, the things that God spends His time sharing with us, are the things that matter. What does God spend his time sharing with us? That he designed us, that he created us, that we have a purpose, that he loves us, that he desires to have a relationship with us. Again, you see it in the Genesis story, but you also see it in Jesus. He could have talked about all kinds of different stuff. What did he do? He spent his time talking about the kingdom of God, how the kingdom is actually available to us here today. He spent his time telling us that, that, that God the Father isn't far from us, that he's close, and that there's opportunity to be in a relationship. And what does he really spend his time doing? He spends his time living a perfect life so that he can die a death on a cross for us to be reconciled in a relationship with God. 
He didn't come to teach us about the world around us and science and all this stuff. He, he came to an establish an understanding of the creator of all that exists and our relation to that creator because that was the most important thing. It was the most important thing to Yahweh. It was the most important thing to Jesus. So don't get hung up by all of the, the intricacies of the world around us. They're important to learn and important to understand and I'm grateful for them. But the greater narrative of scripture is to say that there is a God that he has created the world around us. And if we can just even accept that, a lot of the other stuff in scripture, because there are actual questions that need to be answered, like did Jesus die and rise from the dead? Because that is a narrative. And it's written in four different accounts in the New Testament. And it's not metaphorical. Because you're going like, well, is everything in the Bible metaphorical? No. No, 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 no. Four different accounts, four different stories of Jesus rising and all this stuff. It's not, it's not narrative that, that just kind of gets brushed away by context. It's miracles that God has done. If we can understand that, man, there is a creator that's designed all these things, then logically it goes to say that he could do whatever he wants with the creation that he's made. That's a bit of like a cop-out answer, and I'd like to give more time to it, but we're at 10.13, and there's another service coming in in two minutes. But why don't we stand up this morning as we close? There's a lot to cover. I got a lot more notes. We could talk about this for a long time. As we walk away today, I hope the thought that you're carrying is going, man, I, I, maybe I need to explore this a little bit. If you've got questions about this and you want to throw out scripture, you want to throw out God because of what these scientific theories that, that you've heard and, and exist today that might actually be true, observations of how the world works, you don't need to. You don't need to pick, you don't need to choose, you need to go one way or the other. You need to explore and investigate and understand what the Bible's actually telling us. And again, to reiterate, the Bible's telling us that there is a creator that loves us cares for us, designed us, walk alongside us, that is with us today, and he's given us a moral guide for how to live our lives and to follow. Galileo said, the Bible tells us how to get into heaven, not how the heavens work. I think that's profound and interesting. But today, with, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in the room going, man, as you're talking, the mix of all of this scientific jargon and theological jargon, I'm sharing these things and you're going, man, I, I don't think I've ever really understood that there is a creator that loves me and that he did send his son Jesus and that Jesus came and he didn't teach us about all these things, but he actually came to live a perfect life to teach us how to follow him well, that he died on a cross so that we could be reconciled in relationship with him again. And today you're going, I would love to be in relationship with God and brought into that family of God and accept this gift that Jesus has offered to us. If that's you this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to invite you to raise your hand accept that gift of salvation that God has extended to me today. It's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Well, let's pray. God, for those that have made that decision this morning, we thank you for them. We thank you for what you're doing in their heart and what you're doing in their spirit right now, Lord. And I just ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to them in a mighty and a powerful way today, God. Move in their life in a significant way, Lord. I pray that they would get connected with people around them that can walk out this faith with them and this decision that they've made, God, and that you would demonstrate to them this morning that you love them, that you care for them, and that you're walking alongside them. In my prayer. Amen. Can we celebrate with those that made that decision this morning? That's incredible. It's the best decision you could ever make. I'm going to wrap this up right here, um, and we're going to head out real quick because I'm holding up this next service, but um, if you made that decision today, um, I'd love for you to stop by the Connect table, and somebody will chat with you and give you resources for what that next step looks like. Uh, otherwise, we'll see you next week. Um, have a great rest of your week, and if you got more questions, talk to somebody else about it. <laughs> I'll see you later. No.
Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.